Good evening and welcome to Wednesday night Bible study. Good to see you all. We have an old friend here, uh, Jason Nelson. I don't know if uh, many of you remember Jason and Tamala. And I was asking him, he was in with us for prayer tonight. I was saying, well, Jason, uh, how long ago was it that you left? I would have said five years, so 16 years ago, those guys. And they moved to Tucson, and they're being blessed out there in the sunshine. So he came back for a little bad weather just to (laughs) remember what he's missing. (laughs) Uh, Let's turn our Bibles to Job chapter 4. And as you do that, we'll, we'll pray. Lord, it's so easy for us to sing of your goodness running after us. It's not only running after us, Lord, it has wonderfully caught us. And to taste, Lord, of you, that indeed you are good, you are kind. Lord, you're merciful, you're gracious. And Father, we see that, we're reminded of that as we we come to the scriptures tonight. We read about Job, Lord, this man, Lord, uh, in antiquity, yet a man that we will meet someday. We will sit down with men like this and, Lord, hear their story. And so as we read it, Lord, we, we pray that, Lord, James tells us that, Lord, he highlights the patience, the perseverance of this man. Lord, uh, he endured so much. And, and yet the, the end, the, what was intended, Lord, by you was, was compassion, Lord, was mercy. And we've discovered that, Lord, in our own lives. Lord, we're, we're so uh, thankful in an ongoing, continual way, Lord, for your mercies that have, that have kept us, Lord, as even we speak about, Lord, how 16 years have gone by so quickly, Lord. You have uh, wonderfully cared for us. You care for us moment by moment, day by day. And, and Lord, when we leave this life, it'll be, Lord, eternity. That, that's, Lord, we thank you for the scope, Lord, of your plan, your purpose, Lord, for us. I thank you for those that are here tonight. And, Father, I pray that as we study this great man who had a, a much greater God, Lord, that uh, you would speak, we pray once again, Father, uh, into our hearts, into our lives. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Uh, We're in Job chapter 4, and of course, as you remember, last week we looked at uh, chapter 3, and Job was just pouring out, pouring out of his grief, his pain, his his misery, uh, pouring out to his three friends. We know they had come, and we commended them in the sense that they sat with him for seven days. They sat with him. Uh, they, they were quiet. Um, we, we just noted how commendable you know, that was, but now they're going to speak here at this particular time. But they are really not discerning enough to realize, you know, there's times when you just have to be quiet. Uh, Job needed to have his cathartic moment. He, he needed that. He needed to be able to pour out his grief. And there'll be times where perhaps maybe God uh, brings us along someone, alongside someone who's, who's grieving, they're mourning. And I think, uh, if anything, we learn from this book of Job, um, 
it's very important to be quiet. It's very important when we need to just mourn with somebody who's mourning, to, to cry with them, to weep with them. Um, because they, they don't discern, they don't discern that, that issue. And as a result now, they, they try to become his, his psychiatrist, his, his counselor. And, and they think that somehow something they're going to say is going to fix Job's problems. Um, and that's not going to happen. Um, we're going to see uh, just their, you know, their feeble attempts at trying to do that. And sometimes, again, uh, I think we can be so much more effective by just, you know, letting somebody have their catharsis, let them have their opportunity to pour out their grief. Uh, don't, um, what we see here is we actually see some judgments being made that really shouldn't have been made. Uh, so it's much for us, I think, to learn if we're going to be counselors, and, and we are that. We're, we're, you know, the Holy Spirit's a ministry of a comfort, um, coming alongside people to help them, and, and he will bring us into that place and use us and move through us uh, to minister to people when, they, when they're in these hurt and kind of, you know, these situations. So again, their, their diagnosis is not going to fix uh, Job's life. They're well intended, well, very well intended, but yet their premise was, was, was utterly wrong. Now, the first guy we meet here, he's got three friends. The first one is a guy by the name of Eliphaz, and and perhaps he is the elder statesman here. Uh, he goes first. Um, we, we see that he's a person of high moral character. Okay, these guys, um, when we look at their lives, you know, they did know the Lord. Uh, but like any of us, you know, we have certain limitations, and it's important for us to understand our limitations. And, what we, and we, as we meet this first character, his name is Eliphaz, and again, I think we'll meet these guys, you know, in heaven. As a preacher, I have, I'm warned about that, about what I say about people, you know, because I'm going to have to maybe, you know, just, uh, you know, uh, maybe say, I'm sorry when I see them face to face, all I said about you, you know, kind of a thing. Um, but again, here, this guy, like his friends, they're, they're, they're ignorant of the invisible war that's going on. Uh, we saw that in chapter 1, chapter 2. Even Job is ignorant of that. And it's very possible, as we said before, that Job didn't write that part, you know, that preface, if you will, that introduction, um, that, that prologue of, of chapters 1 and chapter 2, um, because at the time, certainly at the time, you know, it, it, he, he didn't know that was going on. Uh, that whole you know thing back and forth between the Lord and, and the devil and the devil wanting to destroy him, uh, and in God's permissive will, you know the Lord allowing um, you know these circumstances to sort of unfold and how painful they must have been. Uh, so again, not aware of that, not aware of that the whole situation, that circumstances. And the thing is too, not not only not aware of the spiritual warfare, but God had a purpose in it. God has a purpose, and I want you to think about that as we go through that, as we go through this book, and and we'll we'll kind of we'll we'll speak to that specifically what we feel, you know, and believe, you know, as we read through this book. As we get, I'm gonna we're gonna really wait to the end of that uh, end of the book, and really and then we'll we'll talk about you know what the purpose of it was in Job's particular life because. Um, it's very hard for, for Job to figure that out. It's obviously very hard for his friends to figure that out, too, as they look at him, as they assess the situation. And, and again, their, their intentions are, are well-meaning. Uh, they want to help Job. They want to fix his problem. And I, I'll tell you what, as Christians, you know, we're great. We want to be great fixers. Uh, I've discovered this uh, over the years, you know, in counseling and trying to help people and, you know, bring some kind of resolution to their difficulties and their problems. And, 
And, uh, and all we can do is just basically share truth um, and sometimes it may be just comforting, uh, just comforting them to let them know that, you know, the, the, the Lord is, you know, with them, watching over them. Uh, he's concerned about them because a lot of times we have to be very careful because, you know, there's a tendency, and I think we see it here, we're going to see it here in Job's friend, is to come up with a pat answer, okay, just come up with this pat kind of answer, okay, uh, and, and we, pastors, I think, and counselors, you know, Christian counselors can be great for this, you know, because uh, one of the things that I discover is, as, a, uh, as a guy who used to be a, a, a technical guy, a dental technician, at the end of the day, I fixed so many teeth, okay? At the end of the week, I had, I had built and fabricated so many units. And it was so frustrating for me to come into ministry because when you, when, you know, as you're dealing with people's lives, uh, a lot of times just, you just can't fix things. Uh, sometimes it's a very it's a long process, you know, for you know for God to fix those kinds of things, and and I think sometimes you know as, as maybe counselors, and we will do that, you know, Jay Adams' famous book, you know, Confident the Counsel, um, and he uh, takes a quote I think from uh, his title is actually a quote from I believe it's Colossians that we're all competent to counsel, but also too we have certain limitations in that. Uh, so we, don't be frustrated. Just like I think sometimes when, when we feel maybe frustrated because we can't lead people to Christ. Um, it's the same thing with counseling. We, can't, we, we often discover we cannot, really we can't. We can't fix anything. But we can help people. We can encourage people. We can maybe sometimes give them the tools. We can you know, maybe exhort them. And we can just sort of nudge them in a way of just maybe trusting the Lord you know, with their particular you know, situation. So let's open this up here. Uh, then Eliphaz, uh, the Temanite, uh, he answered and he said, If one attempts a word with you, will you become weary? And who can withhold himself from speaking? Obviously, he couldn't, he couldn't withhold himself at this particular point. But, you know, we probably couldn't either. We would probably, at some point, we'd have to get in there and jabber, um, you know, throw our, throw our two cents, you know, into the, into the whole thing. And I imagine as, as Elvis now steps up to the plate, so to speak, uh, his friends are waiting with bated breath, you know, in the wings, you know, and they're probably saying amen, you know, to what he's saying, and they're going to ratify it, that, you know, they're going to confirm it, you know, kind of a thing. And so who could withhold himself from speaking? Surely, now this is to Job's credit. Uh, obviously, these things were well known about this man's life. And that's why the Lord said, the Lord said it to the devil twice, you know. Um, you know, have you, have you noticed my servant Job? You know, he's upright. He's, a, he's an upstanding guy. He's the best man, you know. He's the best man, you know, on you know, this side of the world, so to speak. And, uh, I mean, you can't get a greater accommodation than that, can you? When the Lord, you know, um, you know, speaks on your behalf in that kind of way. And it was true. It was obviously true. Your word, now he says here, surely you have instructed many, and you have strengthened weak hands. Uh, your words have upheld him who is stumbling, and you have, you have strengthened uh, the feeble knees. Uh, again, he cared about people. He, he counseled people. He took out time. Job was the kind of guy, even though he was a very wealthy kind of an individual, in a, in, a, in, a, in a similar kind of way, you know, because he was a wealthy man. He had flocks, he had herds, and all that. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Boaz. You know, as Bo Mary Boaz comes on this scene and he speaks to his speakers, his, his workers, his servants, and he says, you know, the Lord bless you. And they all say, the Lord bless you back. And I mean, wouldn't it be great to have a boss like that? Uh, and, and I think Job, in a sense, was sort of like that. He invested in people. You know, he, he loved people. 
Uh, obviously, he had the means to do that, but more than that, he had God in his heart. You know, he had God, you know, in his life, and that was a thing that uh, was obviously well known about this individual. And, uh, and, and his, the strength of his faith, and this, I think it's very important, too, for us to do this as well. For the strength of his faith, he strengthened other people. Um, just as God, in a sense, you know, imparts something, he has invested things in you and me. And it's not just so that we can enjoy that, and we do that. But, but also, more importantly, it's that our lives would be a conduit, right? A conduit, a channel through which he might bring blessing to other people. And people will. They will, in a sense, draw from your faith. They'll draw from your strength. And that's why it's important. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, uh, we, get into, we get into certain, uh, you know, patterns of uh, non-involvement or non-service or non-activity, or the case may be. And to realize that because of what God's invested in your life, that you need to mentor people. We need to mentor people. We need to share Christ with people. And then after we've shared Christ, to kind of mentor them as much as we can. Uh, and Job obviously did that. He, he was a man that he was just, in a sense, he was marked. Probably when his name was mentioned, yeah, Job, oh, man, what a blessing that guy was in my life. You know, he helped me out. You know, my marriage was falling apart, and, you know, uh, I was on the job, and I was depressed, and, 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 and Master Job come up, and he sat down with me and took me aside, and, and, and man, he counseled me, and he prayed for me, and, and man, put my marriage back together. I think he was that kind of guy, uh, you know, that when people thought of him, and, and, but now as you look at Job, here he is on the ash heap, you know, and he's got pussy boils all over him. And anybody would think, Job, what did you do? <laughs> you, know, you know, what was your secret sin? Surely, because that, that's, what, that's what's kind of behind, you know, the diatribes here, you know, of Job's, uh, of Job's friends. <clears throat> now, verse 5 here, but now it comes to you, and you are weary, it touches you, and you are troubled. In other words, Job, you haven't been practicing what you've been preaching, you know, all these years. And again, again here, you know, his attempt, Eliphaz's attempt, you know, to, to encourage Job, um, you know, he may have some theological insight, I think, like we all do, but I'll tell you what, it's limited, it's insufficient. That's why, you know what, stay in your Bibles. You know, I've discovered... That many different times, you know, one of the ministries that I had for a number of years before I actually came out here to Webster was so it was counseling, it was family counseling, premarital counseling, every kind of you know counseling imaginable. And I just discovered that there'd be times I'd just be reading, you know, um, through the scriptures, and God would give me something that was just, you know, going to be applicable maybe later that day or the next day in, in counseling, and there's something so so you know, you know, presently relevant about reading the Bible, and uh, a lot of times we don't think of it in these terms, and when we're reading the Bible, we're actually equipping ourselves, we're equipping ourselves with truth that we may need later that day, that we may need tomorrow or tonight or whatever the case may be, and again, once God gets it in you, you know, he'll, he'll bring it out of you, he'll, he'll create a situation. How many times you and I have been in a situation, what comes to your thinking? You're in a conversation, or you hear something, and, and the scripture, the truth, you know, comes, you know, uh, you know, in a sort of an applicable kind of a way. So he said, now it comes to you and you're weary and it touches you uh, and you are troubled. Is not your reverence, your confidence, now there, isn't your spirituality your confidence, Job? 
Uh, and everybody knew that Job was a spiritual guy, but maybe they're probably thinking that, oh, well, now it comes to you, and maybe, maybe Job says, maybe, it's all, maybe he's a hypocrite. You know, maybe he's a hypocrite, and um, you know, per, you know, perhaps uh, uh, this confidence is, this is self-confidence. Maybe this is not a confidence in God at all. Because I'll tell you what, it is true that trials bring it out, don't they? But whatever our trial is, it's going to bring out you know, our weakness, it also can, it brings out our strength, our reliance, our trust, our, our faith. Because really, for the, for, the, for the child of God, what's under fire is our faith. That's what's under fire. That's what's being purified. And, and again, I, you know, you, I've shared with you from time to time, I work with metals, you know, being a, being a dental technician. And, and it was something about when, when metal is put under the fire uh, in that crucible. And all of a sudden, it becomes liquid, and you're watching it, and it's under the flame, and it's just sort of jiggling, and then you cast it, you know, into the mold, kind of a thing, and then what's left behind is impurities, you know, the slag or whatever, the tin, the slag, and those, those you know, those inferior metals sort of thing, and, and, you know, when we're in that trial, like, we're like that, we're like that gold that's, you know, in the flame, and all of a sudden, it's going to be just, God's going to use it and, uh, you know, move it into another shape, and, and what's left behind is, is you know, is impurities. Because one thing about a, the ancient metalsmith, uh, whether it's a silversmith or goldsmith, whenever he would purify and, you know, and put that, uh, that metal under the flame, the purities would, would so often come to the top, and they would ladle them. They would, you know, if there was a big vat, they would ladle off that, the, the, you know, that uh, slag and, you know, those, you know, inferior, those alloys that would simply... They would. They were lighter. They would. They would loosen up. They would come to the top, and they. Would, and the silversmith would just sort of ladle that stuff off, and that's exact, exactly, in a sense, uh, what the Lord is doing, for us. So, is your uh, rever- uh, reverence, your confidence, and the integrity of your ways, uh, your hope? Uh, in other words, are you just been hoping in, your, in yourself? Maybe that's what's happened here, Job. Uh, your confidence you know, that we thought was a confidence in God, what it really was. But but again, they're assessing things now and looking at Job as he's in the as in the he's he's just he's in a sense like I was saying you know metal becomes liquid. You know, sometimes when you're in a trial, your 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 faith is sometimes in a state of flux, uh, so to speak. And uh, you know so Job, uh, you know where's your integrity now uh, in this situation under the fire? Remember now, he says in verse seven, whoever perished. Now this is his premise. This is his premise. Um, you know, this is basically his presupposition, watching Job going into this, you know. And basically it's this, you know, whoever perished being innocent. In other words, the innocent do not suffer. And as people think that today, prosperity teaching, prosperity doctrine, something wrong with you, something defective with your faith. And if you are suffering, if you are in a very difficult situation, and, and that's kind of that's what's behind this here. It's a very simplistic kind of view uh, of the Lord, um, you know, of our relationship with him and the things that God does, you know, things that God is working, you know, in our lives. So remember now, whoever perished, you know, being innocent. Again, this, this, you know, this, this oversimplistic view basically says that bad things do not happen to good people. And you'd be surprised how even unbelievers sometimes have these philosophies. They, they, they think of these kind of terms. I'm a good person, you know. We've all heard that before. You know, I'm a good person, and I go to church, and God, why are you allowing this? Why, why are you allowing this to happen to me? Because bad things don't happen to good people kind of a thing, and the fact of the matter is they do. 
They can and they do happen to good people, and they also happen to God's people. So he's basing his argument uh, on this kind of reasoning. He says, Are where were the upright ever cut off? Even as I have seen those who plow iniquity and so trouble reap the same. So again, we see his logic here. And it's basically a logic uh, that we see that, you know, sometimes too, we have to be very careful of natural logic. Because sometimes, too, we can even use scriptural truth to back up our natural logic. And, uh, and what I see in this here, this uh, charge against Job, is Galatians chapter 6, uh, verses 7 and verses 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. So this is true. There's no doubt about it. That, that, that's a, there's a truth there. But one of the things we're going to find out here. These guys, some things they say are wrong. Some things they say are right. But they're misdirected. They're misapplied. And that that can be an issue that we may have to deal with. Um, And maybe assessing someone's situation. Um, You know, um, are we misapplying, you know, some truth to them? Uh, or rather about them. So God is not mocked whatsoever a man sows that shall also reap, for he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap uh, everlasting life. And again, they come to a logical conclusion. But here's the wrong assumption. Job is not sown trouble. Okay? We see that. We see that from chapter 1 and chapter 2. Chapter 1 and chapter 2 give us a clarity uh, for Job in his particular situation to know that it, what's, it's not secret sin in Job's life. Um, it, it's not something he is, you know, some trouble that he has brought on himself. This was something in a sense, it was something that, uh, you know, God, has, God had purposed, God had permitted, God had allowed that to take place in his life. And uh, so again, we have to be very careful of logically trying to figure things out because here's the thing, you know, we just don't know. We don't have all the facts. Even, even about our own lives at times, we don't have all the facts as far as what God's doing. And, uh, and, and certainly regarding other people. So we have to be very careful. You know, I really love what Paul said over in Second Corinthians, I think it's chapter 4. He says, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. Okay? And then he's going to square that all away. Because there's so many facts. There's so many things that we really... We don't, we don't understand all the dynamics that are going into anyone's situation. Again, that's why, you know, we need to be very careful. We need to be, you know, we need to, I think, learn first and foremost to be comforters even before we become counselors, you know, regarding a particular situation. And again, uh, he's got a logic, okay? But logic is not uh, always accurate, okay? Sometimes it may be. But uh, in this particular case, his logic is completely wrong. The logic of his three friends also, too, is going to be wrong. Now, verses 9 through 11, the blast of, at, by the blast of God they perish, and by the breath of his anger they are consumed. The roaring of the lion, the voice of the fierce lion, the teeth of the young lions are broken, and the old lion perishes for lack of prey. And the cubs of the lioness are scattered. So obviously, 
Um, he's reading into this kind of thing, you know, Job, you are the line, that sort of thing. And obviously, this is happening, Job, because you, you know, God is angry, you know, you know, with you. And what's happening here is you rightly deserve this blast of God. This has come to you, Job, and this has got your number on it, buddy, so just kind of accept it, you know, kind of a thing. And the thing about human logic is it can make somebody very judgmental. It can make a person very judgmental because we've all maybe perhaps known somebody like that. They're always right about everything, <laughs> you know, kind of a thing. And, 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 you know, somebody who's operating by logic all the time can be a very smart person, can be smarter than you and I. But at the same time, too, it's very easy to be judgmental when we don't have all the facts. And that's one thing the Bible underscores and highlights for you and I. We don't have all the facts. And in our faith, we, you know, we wait, we trust, we watch, we pray. Um, you know, we hope, you know, for God to bring, you know, help in, in, in resolution. And um, maybe that would have happened if these guys would have waited, you know, maybe waited and, and spent some time in prayer. Again, I commend them for being the, there for a whole week and not saying anything because I don't know if, uh, I never did that, okay? I've never done that, so... Um, you know, maybe we might we might do that if it's a close family member, whatever the case may be. Uh, certainly, we've been there. You know, for for uh, certainly for family members and that sort of thing. But for you know, basically friends and so forth, uh, we usually don't do that kind of thing. But anyway, uh, looking here in verse twelve here, next Eliphaz here, he he has a dream. Uh, he he interprets it and he applies it to the present situation. And I think also, too, one of the things that we need to be very careful how we interpret dreams. Um, I think of a verse over in, uh, I think it's in the book of Jeremiah, uh, where, where Jeremiah says, by the word of the Lord, he says, you know, he says, um, regarding, is regarding those who were really putting out great emphasis on dreams and the interpretation of dreams. And, and God says through Jeremiah, you know, what is the wheat to the chaff, you know? And the wheat being the word of God, the chaff being the dreams, okay? And, and not that God doesn't give dreams, not that God can't use dreams. He does. We see it in the life of Joseph. Uh, I think we see it with, with Daniel, visions of the night and that sort of thing. But again, at, you know, at different times, there have been groups and individuals that have put an overemphasis, you know, on dreams and the interpretation of dreams. And uh, some of those things are so incredibly esoteric and, and it's very hard sometimes to really... Uh, as a young Christian, I had a lot of dreams, and, uh, and I felt, uh, you know, oftentimes frustrated when it came to interpretation. I think in process of time, some of those things were, were you know, I, gave, I was given understanding uh, relative when, when a certain event happened, all of a sudden, yeah, wow, I had that dream. That's what that was. Um, but early on, sometimes, it's not so easy to interpret those kinds of things, and so he's interpreting this dream in the light of... Um, what's going on now presently with Job. And, uh, and one of the things, too, you know, if this dream here was inspired by Satan, this will be the next salvo against Job, okay? And again, I, I, you know, I, I preface it with if. If this dream, you know, was, was basically inspired by Satan, this becomes the next salvo against the, to destroy this good man. Now he goes on to say, uh, now a word, verse 12, was secretly brought to me. And my ear received a whisper of it in disquieting thoughts from the visions of the night when deep sleep fall on men. Sounds like, the, sounds like an introduction to a book or a story, doesn't it? You know, kind of a thing. 
But one of the things that we see here, he's equating this dream or this vision of the night uh, with basically divine revelation. And when you do that, you automatically give it authority. Okay. So he's, he's giving it authority in, in his mind, and he's stating this to Job here. So therefore, this is authoritative, this, this dream. You know, it's divine revelation. Uh, he says in verse 14, Fear came upon me in trembling, which made all my bones shake. And then a spirit passed before my face, and the hair of my body stood up, and it stood still. I could not discern its appearance. Uh, a form was before my eyes, and there was silence. Um, and then he goes on basically to an interpretation. But one of the things here, you don't say any, thus saith the Lord, okay? And God doesn't usually sneak up on people and scare them, okay? So there's some things that are kind of suspect about this. And again, he, 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 he paints this, you know, as a very mystical kind of experience. And I wonder if maybe, it almost seems like there's a little bit of embellishment, you know, as it comes to his describing the spiritual experience. I've heard people do these kind of things, you know, when it comes to their particular spiritual experience. And, you know, there's like a little bit of embellishment, you know, in there kind of a thing. And, uh, and, and one thing about dreams is, you know, they can be very, and they are, they're subjective. They're, they're a subjective kind of a thing. And um, so his hair is standing up on his body. He sees his spirit. He can't discern what it is. There's a form before his eyes. And all of a sudden, there's a silence. And then I heard a voice saying, can a mortal be more righteous than God? Now, Job has never said that. Job has not even implied that or hinted at that. But he is assuming that he has. Job, you, you, you've been self-righteous. <laughs> that, 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 that's kind of... What's going on here, buddy? That's what's taking place. And you, so here, basically, we have, um, in verse 17, this is the, the, the climax of this, this revelation. But I can't help thinking, perhaps this visioner's dream may have been for him and not Job. I think it is. I think it is. Very possibly, if it is divine, I think it's for him. Not Job, but I think it's for Eliphaz. <laughs> and again, if it's, you know, if it's not of the Lord, then... You know, sometimes, too, you know, the, the devil can give us a nightmare. And uh, I don't think that would be very easy to kind of interpret, you know, one of them. They scare the life out of you. Now, he says in verse 18... <clears throat> Did I read, maybe I didn't read full verse 17. Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? Job never said that. If he puts no trust in his servants, if he charges his angels with error, and I think the, the, the inferences, the implication, he said, do you think you'll escape, Job? Okay. <laughs> if the angels can't get away with anything, Job, do you think you're going to get away with this? And... Uh, and he doesn't put his trust in his servants. So Job, maybe it's just Job. You're, maybe you're just not trustworthy, you know, kind of individual. How much more those who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed before a moth. They are broken in pieces from morning till evening. They perish forever with no one regarding. Does not their own excellence go away or leave them. They die without wisdom. You know, this, it's interesting here that um, 
He makes the Lord out to be something less than gracious and merciful. When you read this here, you know, they, they perish forever, they're crushed like a moth, they are broken in pieces. And, and what I struggle with that he's getting out of this whole vision, this whole dream, and this whole thing that he has to say is basically, uh, there's no hint of grace. There's no hint of mercy here. He's just sort of left to die without wisdom. And maybe he's hoping that as he says, as he toughens up, you know, on Job, that he's going to get Job to break, you know. <laughs> Job's broken, okay. There's no doubt, about, no doubt about it. The guy's absolutely wiped out, you know. He probably feels like he's, you know, his hide's full of arrows and all that, everything the devil's kind of thrown at him. Um, and so maybe uh, it's Eliphaz is, is uh, thinking that uh, his words are going to finally bring Job to this place of brokenness. So in chapter 5 here, uh, the diatribe goes on, and he says, Call out now. Uh, is there anyone who will answer you? As if prayer is a waste of time. <laughs> he, he should be saying, Job, let's pray, man. Him and his buddies, let's pray, man. We're going to lay hands on you, man. We're going to pray. Uh, you, you don't see any of that taking place here. And it's almost as if, is prayer a waste of time? I don't think so. Uh, to which of the holy ones will you turn? And this guy's convinced he's got the big D on Job. He's got the big discernment, okay? He, he, he understands where Job is, and he's got the answer. He says, for wrath kills a foolish man, and envy slays a simple one. Now, now, some of these things they say are true, but we're talking about misapplication here, Remember. Wrath kills a foolish man, and envy slays a simple one. I have seen the foolish taking root, but suddenly I cursed his dwelling place. Now, verse 4, his sons are far from safety. They're crushed in the gate, and there is no deliverer. You know, what an awfully insensitive thing to say to Job in the fact that he has lost his sons. He's lost all of his children, you know, man. You talk about, man, a dagger in the heart. And, you know, sometimes too, you know, sometimes as Christians, we can be incredibly insensitive, you know, to somebody's wound, to somebody's situation. Um, and, and again, he thinks, he thinks he's helping. He's helping Job. Because the hungry eat up his harvest. Maybe is that a reference to the Sabaeans coming and taking all of his, you know, all of his crops and killing his servants and, and all of that? Taking it even from the thorns and, sna and a snare snatches their substance, for affliction does not come from the dust, nor does trouble spring from the ground. And again, this affliction, this trouble, Job, you've brought it on yourself. And look at verse 7 here. Yet man is born to trouble as sparks fly upward. It was inevitable, Job, for this to happen. And again, where's this guy getting all this? <laughs> Yet more, man is born to trouble as sparks fly upward. Now, now what he says here is, now look at me, Job. <laughs> look at me, Job. That, that's what you need to do. You know, look at my life. There's self-righteousness, no doubt about it. But as for me, I would seek God. And to God would I commit my cause. You know, Job had been doing that very thing. 
I mean, we, we're, we're told in the first chapter that and not only did he worship the Lord and sacrifice for his own situation, but for his kids, for his family. I mean, this guy had a devotional life. And to God I would commit my cause, who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. He gives rain on the earth. He sends waters on the fields. He sets on high those who are lowly, and those who mourn are lifted to safety. He frustrates the devices of the crafty. Now, again here, remember this. This guy, is, he, he, he knows the Lord. This guy's got legitimate, real faith here. And, and even knows, again, he knows certain things. And so many things, that, looking at verse 9 on here, there's a lot of things that are very true. And sometimes, too, there's a mixture of error in here. He says, he sets on high those who are lowly, and those who mourn are lifted to safety. He frustrates the devices of the crafty so that their hands cannot carry out their plans. He catches the wise in their craftiness. The counsel of the cunning comes quickly upon them. They meet with darkness in the daytime. They grope at noontime uh, as in the night. Uh, and he saves the needy from the sword. Now again here what we see, there are certain things that, that are true but again, he's misapplying them. Uh, he saves the needy from the sword. You know, he does that, but he doesn't do it all the time. Okay? And sometimes with truth, we have to be careful about painting everything with a broad brush. Okay? It's easy to kind of do that. This is the way it always is. You know, sometimes a little bit of knowledge is a scary kind of a thing. We, you know, knowledge is good, but we need wisdom, right? We need wisdom in the application of our knowledge. And so he saves the needy by the sword. You know, we're told over in Hebrews chapter 11, aren't we? Those who, by faith, they died by the sword. Um, from the mouth of the mighty, from, the, from their hand. So the poor have hope and the injustice shuts their mouth. So yes, God, sometimes at times he does deliver from the sword. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. But not all the time. Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. We find this quoted three times in Scripture. It's great truth, isn't it? We, we, we find it uh, um, in the Proverbs. I think it might be chapter 3 in Proverbs. It's over in Hebrews chapter 12 uh, when, the, when the Lord is there, is there speaking about discipline and correction and how important it is and how we need it you know, in our lives. And so and basically, ultimately, it's true. Happy, ultimately happy is the man that God corrects. Now, it's not, we don't like it when we're being corrected. We don't like the correction part, but ultimately, it brings joy and peace and happiness you know, within our lives. Uh, therefore, he says, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty, for he bruises and he binds up. He wounds, but his hands make all. Man, aren't they beautiful truths? They're just beautiful truths. They're precious truths. This man knows he's a, he's a man of faith. And yet, being a man of faith, it's amazing how, you know, we can, when being sensitive, you know, we can, we can um, make quick, too quick of judgments, assessing, you know, the situation, the circumstance. Now, he will deliver you. In six troubles, yes, in seven, no evil shall touch you. Well, again, that's not totally true, okay? Yeah, there are times that he does deliver in six, six uh, different troubles and situations, but not all the time, okay? 
That's the point here. Yes, in seven shall no evil before you. Again, look at Paul. Look at how many times God delivered Paul. But then he died at the hands of Nero. Great man of faith. Did he die because, well, he kind of he blew it. You know, he kind of blew it and, you know, he you know, lost his faith. No, no, not at all. I mean, he, he died. Think of all the martyrs, all the martyrs that have died in faith. I was just doing some, some research and um, and in the last uh, over the last decade, I forget the the ministry, the research Christian research ministry was doing, but over the last uh, um, decade, incredible figures of nine hundred thousand Christians being martyred. <laughs> it almost sounds unbelievable to us because it is kind of unbelievable to us because we don't see anybody getting killed for their faith. We you know we know it's true. You know, we know, we know history. We, we get stories out of the third world from our missionaries and so forth. We, we hear the horrific stories and that sort of thing. Can you imagine in the last decade, nine, roughly 900,000 of our brothers and sisters in Christ have lost their life. Um, and we'll meet them. We will meet them in eternity, and they will have a martyr's crown. They will have a martyr's crown on their head. And again, you know, I've often thought about this, no matter what it is that we have to go through in life. You know, when we, when we get to the other side, um, there will never be, I believe this, for any of us. Well, as we look back, look back over the, through the portal, you know, uh, into this life and all that, I, I don't believe no matter how much we suffered for Jesus, uh, even if our life was taken for, from us, I do not believe we will regret that. I, I think those that died for Jesus will say, man, what an honor, what an honor to die. He chose me to die for my Savior. Can you imagine that? I, I really think that those who, who've experienced that uh, have such an appreciation, just like in a sense, you know, the, 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 the uh, disciples, you know, to have joy at being persecuted. I don't know about you, but I'm quite, not quite there yet, okay? I'm working on it. I'm working on that. But again, to, you know, to just, you know, Paul and Silas getting beat and lashed, ending up in the stocks in Philippi. And what are they doing? They're singing. They're singing. And what a time to have a praise service, right? I mean, we'll be like, oh, 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 I'll be crying, you know. You know, they hurt me. And, and, but there's something about faith that just sort of, you know, really lifts us out of, you know, our, our natural condition, our natural state. So he bruises, he binds up, he wounds but his hands may cold. And I'll tell you what, when the Lord's your nurse, when the Lord's your doctor, when he's fixing you up, man, there's nothing better than that. You know, there's something, something, you've ever been hurt, there's something so beautiful about somebody that comes alongside to help you, whether it's a nurse or whether it's your spouse or somebody, and they're, you know, they're cleaning your wound. They're cleaning your wound, and they're being so delicate, and, and, um, and, uh, and there's something so appreciated in that. You know, someone just, you know, taking time to, to bind you up and to fix you up and to care for you and to love you and, you know, put this, you know, this uh, um, bandage on you and um, just so concerned that, you know, that you know, you're not in pain or you're not hurting. But when the Lord does that, man, that's a, that's a beautiful thing. Um, you know, thank God for the people that care for us. But I'll tell you, when the, when the Lord fixes your wound... It's a very special, very blessed, very wonderful thing. 
Verse 20, in famine, <clears throat> excuse me, he shall redeem you from death. In war from the power of the sword. You know, many people have experienced this, but some have not. Many people have been kept alive, you know, in famine. And yet there have been those that, that have, have, have died from, you know, the effects of war and so forth. And, you know, the power of the sword. You shall be hidden from the scourge of the tongue. You shall not be afraid of destruction when it comes. Well, Job's words last time was the thing that I have feared, he said, has come upon me. You know, the, the thing that uh, I had been worrying, worried about, it had come upon me. So Job did have a, a fear. Um, and of course, there are times, you know, in the face of horrific uh, danger, God's people have been fearless. I've read some of, uh, have you ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs? Um, I, years ago, I read it and uh, about how, you know, that uh, so many of God's people were put to death during the, the Dark Ages, um, actually by the church, you know, put to death by the church, by the Catholic Church for basically being dissenting. These were, you know, these were Bible believers and so forth and, you know, burn at the stake, you know, by the King of England or whatever the case may be. And, and to read some of their testimonies, you know, when, when here, you know, they're, they're called on to recant their faith and, and, um, and, and they're, and, and here is, here's this, you know, this executioner and he's got, he's holding the hair of their child and they're going to, he's got the sword going to take their neck off. And you, and then you read stories of the fact that here is this little boy saying to his, to his mom and to his dad, you know, don't recant, don't recant. And, you know, there, imagine put, being put in that place, you know, as a parent. I mean, you talk about absolute, utter torture uh, being in those kind of situations. And yet, and yet, you know, by God's grace, um, you know, they, they passed the test. And, and many of them had to pass that test with the, with the giving of their lives. So you shall not be afraid of the destruction. <clears throat> when it comes, you shall laugh at destruction and famine. Well, Job wasn't laughing. You shall not be afraid of the beast of the earth. Uh, you shall uh, have a covenant with the stones of the field. Uh, the beast of the field shall be at peace with you. I was kind of thinking about the saints that were martyred to death by stoning. <laughs> Those that were martyred to death and eaten by wild beast, that sort of thing. So, so that, may, they're, 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 that may be true sometimes, but it's not true all the time. Um, again, we, we can be dangerous sometimes with a little bit of knowledge. You shall know that your tent, he says, is in peace. You shall visit your dwelling and find nothing uh, amiss. Uh, you shall also know that your descendants shall be many. Again, some you know, uh, there may be some, some truth to these things, um, but again, his, his point is, Job, this would, be for, this would be you if you had not sinned. You wouldn't have to worry about any of these things, your tent, your home, your kids, everything. And again, it's, it's you know, the wrong application. It's a prosperity kind of a thing, you know. Yes, certainly God does bless us and care for us in, in wonderful ways. But what about, you know, what about? And, and none of us will probably, no doubt about it, none of us will ever have to face what this man Job faced. But again, you know, in our trial, in our affliction, in our adversary, we need to, we need to trust him. We need to look to him. We need to allow him, you know, to give us grace. And, um, you know, one of the things I said about Job, he didn't charge God, you know, with foolishness. Um, 
but he basically said, you know, um, Nega came I into the into the world. Nega, well, I go, you know, and and blessed be the name of the Lord. I mean, you, like I said in our first week of this with Job, is what a sublime faith, what, what an incredibly sublime kind of faith. And when I look at this guy, an Old Testament guy, and I and I look at you know myself and what we have today, what I have today, I look at this guy, man, what, what a towering figure, what what an incredible man that we have this example, this guy that, that so incredibly, he, he persevered, he endured, he'd hung in there, uh, he was faithful. He says, now you shall come to the grave at a full age. Now, Paul, now Job did. Remember, uh, he was basically 60 years old when his trial came. He had a full family at that point, uh, adult children. Uh, we know he lived for another 140 years. He had another 10 children. And so he did. He, you know, he basically came to the grave in a full age. And, and, and again, there's, 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 there's truth here, but oftentimes it can be truth that's just simply missing. You know, here's the thing about truth. Here's, this is so important because sometimes, you know, you can read certain things in the Bible and you can misapply them. And I think the best commentary on the Bible is reading other parts of the Bible, okay? Because then you get a balance of truth. Um, I, I think that if you only read the, the Old Testament, you're going to get in trouble, okay? Uh, now, praise God for the Old Testament. And I stand against those who say you shouldn't read the Old Testament. There's so many valuable things there. But you've got to balance it out with the New Testament. We, we need to balance out truth um, because sometimes, you know, like for instance, I'm just, just the other day I read Psalm 37. And there's a lot of things there that are particularly applied to the Jewish people. Okay? Now, I have to be careful that I don't just solely apply them to me. You know, I think Paul, didn't Paul kind of hint at this when he said, we're to write, to young Timothy, to rightly divide the word of truth. So there, there's divisions. And we need to understand, you know, and again, I, 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 I think we'll best be able to learn that and do that when we're getting a full counsel of God, we're getting the Old Testament, we're getting the New Testament, um, and we're basically balancing out. You have to balance out truth against truth. And, and obviously, when I look at this guy here, it's incredible he knew what he knew. He didn't have a Bible. <laughs> he couldn't turn to chapter and verse like you and I can. Um, he didn't have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit in his life like you and I did. Uh, what Old Testament saints had is the Holy Spirit will come upon them powerfully. We see that with the prophets. You see that in the life of David. You see that in the life of Abraham, Joshua, Moses. Okay, The Holy Spirit was there with them and upon them, uh, enabling, enabling them to live and to do what they did. But again, what you and I have is absolutely incredible. So when I look at this guy, I don't want to sound like I'm condemning him, but we have to understand there's many things that he says are just, they're just not right. They're, they're not applicable. They're not a truth that's abs absolutely applicable, you know, to that particular circumstance and situation. So as the sheaf of grain ripens in the season, Behold, this we have searched out. So maybe, he, I think he's been in a powwow with his buddies, okay? <laughs> you know, we're talking about this because I, I, think they, I think maybe they did. 
I, I think they maybe huddled up for a while and said, okay, now what are we going to do here? You know, we're here with Job. We've been with him for a week now. You know, we care for this guy. We love him. He's our old buddy. Uh, you know, what can we do? And I think they had a little bit of a powwow. And they're talking about, you know, okay, here's what I'm going to say. And, you know, Bill, Dad, what are you, what, what are you going to say? Well, here, here's my point. Here's a point that I'm going to make. And, and, um, and, and so far, what about you? And, and so I think they kind of had this little bit of a talk, uh, you know, as far as like he says here, behold, we have searched this out. It is true. And again, there was many truths that they spoke here. But also many misapplied. Hear it, he says, and know for yourself. <laughs> Again, it, to me, it smacks of prosperity, you know, teaching. Only blessing comes to those who believe. Amen. <laughs> you know? hey, the, the fact of the matter is we were, we were blessed when we were rascals, and he stepped into our life and saved us. And it was predicated upon nothing. I don't know about you. Maybe you were, maybe you were just born perfect from the tomb. Okay, I'm the womb, womb. Excuse me. <laughs> but I know I wasn't. I, I know I was a rascal growing up, and when I got saved, it wasn't based on any good thing. Uh, even the gift that I was able to to, to believe, you know, it was a it was a, it was a, a glorious gift. Uh, how good, how good the Lord is. So. <clears throat> The assumption here that trials only come to those, you know, who are weak in faith, it's just, you know, it's just kind of bogus. So, Father, we thank you. Lord, help us, we pray. <clears throat> you have given us incredible insight, so much more so than our friends here, Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar. Lord, uh, they're good men. They're, they're wanting to help. Uh, and yet, uh, we find how we need Lord, uh, we need wisdom with the knowledge we have. We need reliance, Father, upon the Holy Spirit. And Lord, you want us to counsel folks. You, you want us to mentor people. You, you want us to invest our lives in the lives of others. Lord, we, we see all the wrong examples in our world today. And Lord, we thank you for the example of Job. And Lord, help us, we pray. Lord, uh, to have the kind of impact his life had. Lord, uh, even when at times when we're finding our trials and people are maybe judging us in the wrong way, Lord, to, uh, to keep our focus, our gaze upon you. So, Lord, I pray as we go this week that you would create opportunities for us. Lord, to, to, to pray with people, to talk to people, just to invest, Lord, what you've invested in us. Lord, you've given, you went to, to, to the cross. You died on our behalf. You became our substitute. And, Lord, all that accrues to you, Lord Jesus, Lord, is available to us. And so I pray, Father, as we have read your scripture tonight, that our faith would be strengthened all the more. And that, Lord, in the, in the end result, that we would give you praise and give you honor, give you glory. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Shall we rise?